Hi, we're here today with uh, Matthew Nordgren. Uh, this is the, I think, the first time we've ever, actually ever had a pro athlete uh, with uh, our podcast. So, welcome. Wow, thanks, Phil. We've been friends for a long time. So, why did it take us so long to get down here? <laughs> no, yeah, we have known a bit uh, each other for a bit, and we've had an opportunity to talk about various opportunities and stuff like this. Um, I wanted to uh, kind of maybe ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself because there's there's a lot of stuff you've got going on that I find and I'm sure our viewers will find very interesting. Uh, happy to. Yeah. And yeah, we do know each other a year, but in cannabis years, kind of like dog years, a, a year <laughs> in a five-year-old industry. Oh, you no know, kidding. <laughs> really enjoyed you, um, really have enjoyed the relationship with CSE. And for that matter, all of the folks we've been able to meet here in Toronto and Canada, um, it's been amazing to uh, understand how things work in this market. Um, and in the U.S., we're just very grateful that this market um, allowed for these cannabis businesses to take in the capital and resources that they needed to scale. Um, so it's it's been a lot of fun being up here the last few years and um, glad to be on the podcast today. Uh, again, my name is Matt Nordgren, founder and CEO of Arcadian Fund and Arcadian Capital. Um, we are a platform, uh, more or less, that uh, had set itself up a few years back to uh, give people a place to invest and um, back a team uh, with a lot of industry knowledge and presence to give them exposure to the industry and manage that effort for them. Thus far, we've done it through a few different vehicles, primarily Arcadian Fund One, which is a early stage growth investing, uh, equity investing uh, vehicle. Uh, for non-plant touching assets, mm -hmm. mostly based in the U.S., um, we also do these deals through SPVs, uh, which we have done for various plant touching opportunities and international opportunities. Um, what we are going to have in the very near future are some new vehicles that we believe are going to be well positioned for the next sort of interesting opportunities that come. And happy to talk more about that. And how long's the fund been around so far? Uh, our, the fund today is going on two years of inception. Um, we're actually closing the fund finally next week. We will be able to do a lot more public uh, discussions in terms of what the fund Great. consists of and the size and its performance. But I can tell you today that its performance is as strong as anything I've ever been around. Um, I think a lot of us in cannabis feel that way if you got in at the right basis. But uh, I do think we're uniquely positioned uh, within the U.S. market to really be seen as a thought leader and have a portfolio with enough years of performance to really indicate that we've been able to find a level of success. Well, we're certainly very uh, happy to have you here today. But as I was doing some research, I know that you played football, right? So tell me a bit about that. And then tell me about how you made the transition to what you're doing right now. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, Phil. It is an integral part of not only Arcadian's philosophy, but the philosophy that um, athletes in general, I think, bring to business. And it's how to work on a diverse team. Um, anybody who's participated at a high level in team sports and been able to win championships at a high level understands that uh, it does take a team to do that. And in business, I think athletes tend to gravitate towards those types of philosophies. And, sure. yeah. um, you know, I, I played football. I was a quarterback at the collegiate and NFL level. 
And as a quarterback of a team, uh, you really are charged with the responsibility to find out how to get the most out of everybody on your team um, and then put those skill sets together to do something really special. Um, my career in college in the NFL, I think, attributed that skill set to business for me and have been able to be a great investor because of the fact that we know how to go into teams and help them bring in new team members and new skills mm -hmm. that can take them to the next level. We, we really are a growth round investor. And much like a, a sports team, um, I think teams are comprised of a lot of great components. How do you get a team from being good to being great? And I think that's with collaboration and really having a leader in place that knows how to get the most out of everybody. So uh, the football career was wonderful. And at a point in my life, um, that was all I knew. What I didn't realize now, 15 years, 20 years into a business career was how that would translate into the career that, that we've been able to build and the platforms we've been able to build. Yeah, I'd say as a general statement, um, when I've been hiring individuals in the past, I love hiring athletes because they've got this mentality whereby, you know what, you can throw a lot of stuff at them and they're usually, the good ones are going to rise to the top and they're going to step up and they're going to say, you know what, let's do it, right? And I love that mentality. I love I love the the, the uh, desire to win. Yeah. Right? And, and athletes tend to have a desire to win and you also know you share in the accolades because it, it does take a team to win. So not just building a team or working within a team, right. but then as teams face adversity and as teams find success, athletes are, tend to be pretty well equipped to deal with both mm -hmm. uh, the ups and the downs where, you know, some people that don't have a lot of experience excelling in team environments, that can be a challenge. Right. And if I recall, you were with, uh, from an NFL standpoint, you were with uh, Philly and you were also with the Detroit Lions. Started in right. Detroit and then, yeah. yeah, not very long there. Was pretty pretty brief in Detroit and then set my career to start in Philly. Now, between the two, which two of the city, which of the two cities do you like and why? Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, Detroit's pretty close to Toronto, so maybe we ought to stick with Detroit. They're both pretty amazing cities. Uh, had not spent much time there before getting to the getting to the city to play football. So. Uh, you know, going into it didn't have any preconceived notions as to what to expect. Um, I will tell you that playing sports in a city is a nice way to to be educated about a city. The I'm people sure. really embrace you and you get a lot of help. So my experience was fantastic at both places. And um, so you've been in cannabis for a few years now. And um, from a firm standpoint, so what are the types of things that you guys look at and you know, um, uh, what are, is it early stage, a later stage? Um, give me a bit, bit of understanding about that. Yeah, some of the questions we ask early on in diligence with companies are things like, uh, can we look at your books? Uh, we'd like to see revenue. Um, we, we really are a, a, a growth round investor. We like to be early growth round, but for us to feel comfortable with an investment, we need to see, uh, 12, 16, 24 months of what has happened. And it doesn't always have to have the same answer. We don't need mm -hmm. to see 30% growth every month or something. Mm -hmm. But we do need to see uh, growth, but we need to see 
when uh, a hiring or a firing decision was made, how did that impact the business? They enter a new market. What did that, how did that impact? So typically there's at least one round of financing in place by the time we get into a deal, mostly two, Mm -hmm. um, in order to see 12 to 24 months of revenue. I think in cannabis that applies even more so than other industries I've invested in in my career because there are variables that are unlike other industries here. And when you put them all together, somebody who has a great idea or a lot of success doing something uh, may not find success in cannabis because ultimately they have to deal with political wins. They have to deal with timing. They have to deal with, um, you know, a whole bunch of bad information as well and sort through that. Uh, and then ultimately you still have to sell to a cannabis entrepreneur, which is a different type of sale than it is maybe in another industry. Mm-hmm. So we, we really do need to see some market penetration. To get a deal through investment committee, we probably also need a company to be able to clearly indicate to us what is the total legal addressable market for what they do for cannabis and hemp. Once they can make that argument, we then want to know where they believe they sit within that market. What is your market share of the total addressable market today? Mm-hmm. Um, that really helps us as well because we're running analysis and diligence on verticals without looking at the companies in them, trying to get a better understanding to uh, how they compare for industries outside of cannabis, a media company, a data company, a software company, an agriculture company, a science company. Um, How does that company stand up when markets become mature? What does this type of an asset trade for? Who does it trade for? Um, at what point along the business growth do they achieve maximum value? And all of them have a different answer. But for us, we, we need to try to compare where they are and where they believe their market is with the work we do throughout the entire supply chain. Okay, so um, tell me a bit about, more about the companies that you guys specifically have invested in and the types of sectors and stuff like that. Because I'd read that you, were, you, don't, you, you typically avoid non-plant touching type of things. And I, I was on your site, and there's a whole bunch of like, uh, you know, interesting companies. Uh, so uh, maybe you could elaborate a bit more about that. Okay, yeah, sure, Phil. The the fund strategy is to invest in non-plant touching assets, and the reason for that is uh, sort of the same reason that you tend to hear about the picks and axes analogy in a lot of businesses. What is the support? Who's the service to any particular industry? We look at cannabis and we kind of compartmentalize the industry in three phases. This is how they've matured to date um, in, in, in most markets. And so that may change going forward. But typically they, they start sort of at the retail cultivation manufacturing level. Um, hotly contested political topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that tends to be something that in every market is done a little bit differently. But that has to be in place for there to be any, any, any other industry to follow. Um, we've not invested in that asset class traditionally because of the fact that in the U.S. markets, it's still a risky type investment in a lot of people's eyes, not in ours, mm-hmm. but the, the bankers and the public markets um, don't allow for a lot of that work yet. Canada thankfully has, and we've been able to give birth to the world's industry out of Canada. Um, 
we just didn't invest there for, for reasons of being in the U.S. and, and yep. having a large institutional investor base. The second phase of cannabis that we've seen mature is the B2B aspect. So as soon as you find the gold in the hill, um, you know, the, the, the boots, the gene companies, the pixes, the axis companies, the, the sort of support to then make that commodity real for the consumer um, is where we've invested. And, and that we call phase two. Um, the interesting thing about that asset class, they typically don't require a license to do business, puts them in a different category than ones that generate revenue from a licensed activity. The third phase then is the B2C aspect, like the gold analogy. Um, once you know there's gold in the hills, once you build the business, support it, mm-hmm. who's going to buy the gold watch or what is the consumer use for the watch? We think that's where the next phase of cannabis and hemp really are going to be. It's the consumer. Um, and I think most consumers probably don't recognize how uh, prevalent the uh, products from these plants will be in their lives. Um, I'm a believer that most everybody in the world will have access to some product from this plant, whether it's a byproduct from hemp in the form of textiles and fabrics, or if it's a medical product, or if it's just a consumer product on the shelf. Um, we think this is going to touch everybody. And that phase three is what we think the next kind of major opportunity is outside of phase two starting to re, re, you know, achieve its peak value today. Okay. So I want to follow up on that. You mentioned a couple of things about uh, the U.S. and stuff like this. So from your standpoint, do you have much visibility into when and if the U.S. will be look, looking to legalize cannabis and timeframes? Have you got a magic ball in there somewhere or uh, is there uh, can you give us some sort of prediction? I'd be happy to. So far, we've been pretty accurate, um, and and not always is that the case. Uh, but in this industry for the last couple of years, I feel like we've been pretty spot on. The House and and and, and Senate in the United States are split today. Um, I, I think this is really a bipartisan issue. Um, maybe the last one of our lifetimes, it seems. But you know, we feel that most people are on board, and mm-hmm. it just depends on how. Especially when you're talking medical cannabis. Um, in America, polls will tell you 88 to 90 percent of Americans are in favor of medical cannabis. That's that number is pretty crazy. Um, and I think it's similar here. That type of support is is unheard of. So when you look at what could happen, you know, it has the support because the the, the House and, and Senate are split. Um, I think it's an executive branch decision. I think it has to be because only amendments can really get yeah. pushed forward. It's yeah. tough to get a full bill through. You know, I, I would have to, if I had to guess, I would think Donald Trump and the and the executive team have a very tough time not putting medical cannabis through federally sometime around election period 2020. Um, I don't think he loses any votes from his base with that effort. Right. I think he has a chance to pick up a few from the other side. Um, of course, taxes and job creation, all things we, we love about this industry also are there. Um, but the support... Uh, I think it times out really well for for that to be a major inflection point. A lot of little things will continue to happen. State banking and um, all kinds of hemp, fair, you know, hemp hemp uh, legislation. But ultimately, it, it will require the executive branch and branch, in our opinion, to really put something in place that's a game changer. Yeah, if I recall, there's 33 of 50 states which are uh, have some s- sort of legalization at this point. So that's 66%, and most of them are from the larger states. So I would think that things are going to be moving in that direction. But we'll see. Um, 
Also a follow-up in terms of, you've talked a bit, a bit about like uh, some of the hemp-based opportunities and obviously in conjunction with that are a lot of CBD-based type of opportunities. Um, do you know, like what would your f- viewpoint be in terms of what type of products are going to best, like are going to be the hot sellers 12 months from now that are CBD or hemp-based products? It's a great question. A lot of people try to put the hemp-based stuff in a different conversation because today they really do look like different businesses, obviously, when you add the psychoactive THC component. But I try to really look at this industry more as a technology. Um, It's just more a physiological science-based technology. When you really understand the cannabinoids and how our endocannabinoid system and the phytocannabinoids these plants produce work and react with each other, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, and these numbers people differ, have different opinions on, but there's around 80 very active molecules that the plants produce, somewhere between 120 and 175 total, plus terpenes and all this other stuff, right? The, the combination of formulas that exist when you talk about isolating these molecules, mm-hmm. testing them, proving efficacy, and then ultimately combining them and putting them in delivery methods, the amount of consumer products is, is hard to really imagine. It's it's that big. I think everything in the grocery store is up for grabs in terms of infused product. I think everything behind the counter, in front of the counter, and pharma is up for grabs. Home Depot, textiles, fabrics, I mean, byproduct of hemp is up for grabs. Right. So, you, you know, a lot of times we talk about how Steve Jobs must have felt when he was in his garage all these years ago trying to build Apple. He knew there was a technology. He had an idea what the consumer wanted. Timing worked out really well to be able to take that technology and put it into consumer product. I think cannabis is in a very similar situation in terms of the consumer. The consumer actually does not understand, I think, today how much this will be in front of them in consumer buying decisions. And um, the next number of years will tell that. But to answer your question more specifically, um, I think it's it, it, it will come with education. I think that there's product categories that don't even exist today that will be created. Um, so I, I think more importantly than identifying any one particular area, probably have to identify pharma because the FDA and all the regulatory bodies are going to be able to get behind those mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Um, but I think you just need to be more of the thought process that there will be so many major consumer products created, and many of them don't even exist in the consumer mind today. I would think of, uh, from the CBD aspect, I've, I've been reading a lot about it, and pain and slash wellness opportunities are certainly something that's you know of consideration. If... Back in the day when you were playing football, would you have actually taken CBD type of products uh, for pain? Uh, because I've I've heard that many of many football players are taking all sorts of other stuff to deal with that type of stuff, right? It's it's a great point, Phil. And actually, one of the reasons I got in the space was during my career watching guys positively utilize the plant to treat themselves, mm-hmm. and um, saw it for many years. What really hit me was my father was also an NFL player, and he's in his late 70s now, and watching the guys he played with, um, the type of pain and complications they have now at that age, mm-hmm. I, I would venture to say more than 75% of them are in pretty severe pain from something that they picked up during football. Um, watching this plant be able to help these guys has brought tears to, to our eyes in many occasions. I mean, so many people are having positive 
reactions to this plant treating different things for them. Then mm-hmm. um, I think athletes have a ha- athletes have a unique position to be vocal and utilize a platform to talk about this. And I think you're seeing that happen. But undoubtedly, um, athletes are finding benefit. Um, veterans are finding benefit. Um, I, I would even, you know, ask the people listening to this right now to take the challenge. Um, all too often in our industry, even I'll, I'll speak at an event and ask people, how many of you in here use a, a tincture every day? Mm-hmm. And almost nobody raises their hand. And these are people that are deep in our industry. The challenge is this. Go find a formula. Find a nighttime formula or a daytime formula that you can use. And the tinctures are really good right now. It's, it, the sublingual does a really nice effect. Um, try it. But take it for seven days because these aren't going to get you high. They're not going to make your mind feel oh, intoxicated. Yeah, sure. But your body... This is this plan is all about achieving homeostasis. And for all of us, it's different. In life, it's all about balance. In your body, it's about homeostasis. If you put this plant in your life through this type of a form and you have to do it for seven days because it doesn't just happen overnight, you will feel a, a positive effect. And if you just take that challenge and everyone listening, just take the challenge. Find one of these formulas. If you can get some THC in it, it is probably better because it takes that to activate it. And until you know exactly what you're deficient in, a full spectrum oral will be helpful because you don't know which cannabinoids you need in certain places. But take it, try it for seven days, mm-hmm. and I promise you, you will feel better in some way. Okay, that's uh, that's that's a challenge from Matt, Matt Norgren. So uh, also, the, the one other thing that I wanted to ask about is that if I recall, in India and Asia, certain parts of these countries are... are uh, this region of the world have been using a lot of hemp and or uh, you know uh, byproducts of that for the last centuries, right? Like lots and lots of centuries. So, um, wondering what your comments are on that are. I think that India and China present a massive opportunity. Um, first of all, you have about a third of the world's population there. Second of all. These plants were born there. I mean, Himalayas and so forth, 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. Eastern medicine. um, I I think those markets are prime. Um, I think it's going to take some maneuvering, obviously. But we're pretty close to being able to announce a few things from the hemp plant in those regions that will be able to produce product for the consumers. Um, And for 3 billion people, it's a lot of consumers. I mean, I've seen numbers on just the pet food products in China alone, for example, is really hard to imagine how big that is. But um, those markets, I think, are really, really, really special, very delicate to do business in China, given the way the world is today. India presents a different type of challenge. Uh, Cannabis and hemp are considered sacred plants. I, I believe there's 12 there. It's the same complication Starbucks faced when they tried to bring Starbucks turmeric drink there. Turmeric's a sacred plant. Um, so there are complications, but just scale and size alone and history, um, the opportunity is really, really, really exciting. Okay. Um, so let's let's also talk about a, a recent trend that, or I don't know if I should actually call it a trend, but there was a transaction recently with Canopy and Acreage. Um, Canopy is uh, essentially has 
uh, bought the right to uh, effectively buy acreage uh, when legalization occurs. And I'm just wondering if you can elaborate from your standpoint as a fund manager, what the potential impact on your line of business might be. That's a great question, Phil. Uh, happen to be very close friends with Kevin Murphy at Acreage and know their team very well. I think it's a, a great move for Canopy because um, there are several multi-state operators that are, are it could be in that same conversation. And I know Canopy explored many of them. What they got with Canopy with uh, Acreage is a, is a management team that they know can go into the marketplace, has a great reputation amongst everybody in the industry and in the United States. And I think it gives them the best chance to sit at the table and have Kevin Murphy and Acreage and that team go negotiate deals that they need to, they need to deploy capital into. Right. And, and I think Kevin Murphy is one of the greatest leaders our, our industry has, and certainly in North America. Um, I think he does right by people. He's fair, uh, and he works really, really, really hard. I think it's a great deal for both of them. Um, ha having been someone that has been around it and knows quite a few of the details, um, you know, the thing I could pretty comfortably say is that, that the alignment is one that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, okay, so now we're going to uh, kind of move into, let's let's try to figure out what's in Matt's head right now. So if I was to give you, at this point, a million dollars, what type of company would you invest into, right? So you're, you're obviously investing it right now, but for our viewers and for some of the, the people who are following us on, uh, you know, uh, hashtag uh, finance, what type of opportunities should people be looking for at this point? I think is it, the market today really is is about the consumer. Um, if you're building a business, it's going to be very difficult to build a retail cultivation manufacturing business with how big that part of the industry is. So we're talking about brands, essentially. Yeah, right? I think on the B2B side, data, software, HR, compliance, media, those have been great. But again, those are starting to really become very big companies and big Fortune 500 companies are going to, going to enter. I think if you're looking at the investment today, I think getting into the consumer aspect, whether it be a brand, delivery, distribution, mm -hmm. testing, mm -hmm. um, medical product, IP, mm -hmm. whatever faces and touches the consumer is where I would spend my time if I was putting dollars to work or entering the space and looking for that big upside because the basis on those businesses is still, you know, pretty low. Um, if you think that that asset class is going to be a dollar one day, you're probably getting in today at 30 cents. Yeah. Um, you know, even the bigger brands, there's a, too many variables out there for them to really know that they're going to win. Um, so, so I think right now there's a lot of opportunity and a bunch of opportunity. I actually think there will be hundreds of brands that mm -hmm. achieve a very large market cap, um, all created either right now or in the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. And uh, from a from an inspiration standpoint, for you as, as an individual, like who or what is your inspiration at this point? Like what, what do you wake up with every day and what's like kind of the first thought that is in your mind? Mine every day and has always been to find purpose in everything I do. Um, I try to ask myself, what is the purpose of this? And then at least if you make a bad decision, you knew why you made it and you can become better. Um, I think we try to challenge ourselves at our organizations with that. What gets me most excited is the positive impact that our industry, I think, will have on the world 
in ways that it doesn't realize. Mm-hmm. Um, we all hear the stories. We all continue to get motivated by the way this is healing people and, and becoming a better alternative to people. But we have this really unique opportunity to be involved in the creation of an industry that is as big as any, where every other industry out there of significance and size is already down the road to some degree. They're having to try to figure out how to do things better. Things like uh, female empowerment, Mm -hmm. minority uh, focus, environmental focuses, um, unfair and unjust things that have happened to many, many people in the world and other industries because of the way industry is. In cannabis, we get to build an industry right from the beginning. I got to tell you, this is what gets me most excited every day is the fact that everybody belongs in this industry. Right. And everybody has a really, really big chance, regardless of sexual orientation or religion or gender. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have a responsibility to do that right. And it's really, really exciting to see all the wonderful people that get to benefit from this industry. Yeah. So I want to uh, thank you on behalf of the CSE uh, for taking the time to come meet with us. Uh, It's been a, a pleasure. But I had one last question. And I was just doing a little bit of research. And I'm... I understand that you were on TV a little while ago, right? And I wanted to to have you comment about it and maybe tell us a bit about this show out of Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a show called Most Eligible Dallas. Right. And um, it was my single days uh, as a post, uh, p- post-football career in uh, an early business career. And it followed me around for a period of time and just tracked life. That's great. And yeah. some really interesting things happened uh, that if you had the time to watch, I'm sure that would get a laugh. Um, we'll get a laugh if you watched it today. Some of it pretty ridiculous, to be honest. <laughs> but But it was a great learning experience. And, you know, in life, you need conversation starters. And oh, no, this one's great, kind yeah. of been fun for yeah. that over the years. Well, thanks a lot. We appreciate your time and uh, nice to see you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Hi, it's Grace from the CSC reminding you to make sure to follow us on social media for the latest updates on our listed companies as well as new listing alerts. For more in-depth content, be sure to pick up our free quarterly magazine, Public Entrepreneur, available online at thecsc.com.